From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we'll discuss and update you on some current events in the legal sphere. We'll talk about the Confederate mon- monuments controversy. Why are they being removed in certain states and is it legal to do so? We'll also talk about the latest with President Trump's travel ban and the judiciary's role in reviewing executive orders. And later, a lottery in Mississippi. Give us a call today at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments. Number is 877-MPB-RING or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're going to discuss and update you on some recent current events in the legal sphere. We'll talk about the Confederate monuments controversy. Why are they being removed in certain states and is it legal to do so? We'll also talk about the latest with President Trump's travel ban and some of his tweets and the judiciary's roles in reviewing executive orders. And later, a lottery in Mississippi. Could it be possible? You can give us a call today at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments about some current legal events maybe you've been seeing in the news and you want some clarity. Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning to you, Professor Gershon. How are you today? Doing great, Sharita. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a little rainy here in Jackson. Uh, I would like for it to stop. My electricity keeps going out and went out about two or three times yesterday. So I'm ready for the sun uh, because operating in the dark is no fun. So. Well, you know, I think uh, I think we're supposed to get some clarity this week. So uh, that's a you know that's our free weather report for, for the show. <laughs> yes. Um, and before we jump into our topics, there was a caller that called on Lenny Talks, uh, the show just before this one. He wanted to know how long does a judgment stay on record against you? And uh, then the other details were county court and unsatisfied. So I don't know if that's enough information for you to answer. Well, you know, I think that's one of those things that. Um, Again, it depends. I mean, typically, you know, that's going to vary from uh, depending on the judgment. Uh, Some judgments stay open 21 years. Um, But uh, I would uh, talk to someone and make sure you get the judgment enforced as as soon as possible, uh, you know, and not wait. You know, anytime you've got uh, something, you know, uh, whether it's a, a claim or a judgment, you know, without knowing specific facts, I can't say what a particular judgment time frame would be. But, uh, you know, make sure you you move quickly because those things are somewhat time sensitive. Yeah. Uh, So, Johnny, Johnny, if you're still listening and uh, you need a little more information, you can send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We would appreciate it. All right, Dean. So uh, one thing I saw yesterday that Bill Cosby is in in court, Um, I think today may be day two of this trial. And this is for charges that he drugged and assaulted um, a particular woman at his home in 2004. Um, So have you been following the case at all uh, or heard anything about it? 
I have, and you know, it's it's sad. You know, first of all, it's it, it's sad on so many levels. You know, uh, the the accusations seem to have some some teeth to them, and so you know, here's this iconic person that we held out as uh, someone who uh, was the you know the perfect father figure, and and it's certainly um, you know this this makes us think about those those uh, those idols that we uh, that we have, and you know the fact that they're human, and and um, you know he is human, but. If he committed these crimes, he definitely needs to pay for them. Yeah, I see his show is back on some of the stations and people are watching it. And I've just seen so many people on my social media accounts who are just completely torn about this because they have revered him so much as Cliff Huxtable. And then uh, there's just a, you know, it's a struggle to think that he could have been this person outside of the TV show. Um, but uh, according to CNN in this story, he has pleaded not guilty to three charges of aggravated indecent assault in the case. So uh, just wondering what kinds of evidence would they need? I mean, this is, a, I guess, a 13-year-old case. This is from 2004. What kinds of evidence would they need to, to prove or uh, to prove that he, he did this? Or how easy would it be for him to actually be found not guilty? Well, you know, first, the presumption is that he's not guilty, and we need to start with that. Um, you know, a lot of this has been tried out, obviously, in the press. Uh, lawyers uh, have some prohibitions on what we can say in terms of pretrial publicity, but, you know, the, the press doesn't. And so a lot of this is out there, uh, and, you know, it has not yet been proven uh, in the court of law. So that's important. And that really is the prosecutor's burden to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt that he, he did, in fact, uh, commit these crimes. Now, that being said, you know, part, I think one reason why he pled not guilty, if he's, he may be arguing that he, he didn't do it, but I think part of the strategy there might be as well that because a lot of these allegations are old, it's going to be hard to get corroboration that's, that's credible. Uh, you know, the, for a lot of people, though, I think the circumstantial evidence which can prove the case is there's so many people that have alleged similar uh, incidents with him, and so that may actually be enough to, to meet that burden. But that's all going to play out in court, and I think we have to remember that when we read things in the press, um, that that is not a court of law. All right. Well, we already have a couple calls to get to. Uh, we'll go first to Rick in Madison, who wants to talk about a pod account. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Um, I called earlier. I moved here from Texas, and uh, I have a 95-year-old mother who has dementia. I am her, her caregiver, um, and I'm her only child. She has $90,000 in a checking account in, um, in Texas and about $25,000 in securities in Texas. And my question is in regard to her will uh, and some things I've been reading up about when, you have, when someone passes away that you have to give notice for a period of time uh, when you adjudicate the will. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, creditors would raise their hands, I guess, during that period file proof of claims, and then you would pay them off from the estate. My question is about the POD accounts uh, presently in Texas. Uh, I understand they are, you do have those in Mississippi, POD, pay on death, uh, or transfer on death, from the earlier show I called in on, but they couldn't answer the question whether um, I would have to wait and transfer those those funds to myself, who is the beneficiary from those two accounts, uh, uh, before uh, the notice period with creditors. And that's my question. It's a, it's a good question. And, you know, Texas, you're talking really talk, talking Texas law. So, I, I, you know, I think it's important to make sure you confer with someone in Texas. But generally the way I can tell you generally how payable and death accounts work. Uh, payable and death accounts are designed to avoid the probate process, uh, to allow a family member to have immediate access to the account after death. 
Now, the difference between that and a joint account, a joint bank account, that person has access uh, to the account during the lifetime as well. The idea of a payable on death account, let's say I have a payable on death account payable to my daughter. She can't access the account while I'm alive, but I want her to have immediate access when I die. And in some ways, uh, the reason why payable on death accounts were giving given effect was because there may be a contrary uh, language in the will that gives the property to somebody else, gives the account to somebody else, and the bank is sitting there with an account that says it's payable on death to uh, you, let's say, um, the bank wanted to be able to rely on the information it had in front of it. It did not want to have to go and try to read everyone's wills when they die. So uh, payable on death accounts are effective. Uh, it varies from state to state whether creditors have access to those accounts in the probate process. They don't go through probate, but whether a creditor can actually attach that account. So I would I would tech, uh, check Texas law, uh, but certainly um, the idea behind the POD account is to give immediate access. Same with life insurance. Life insurance is paid directly to the beneficiary, uh, and it avoids probate. Uh, and joint accounts with uh, rights of survivorship avoid probate. And typically, those types of things are not uh, attachable by by the creditors of just the decedent. Well, my and my question is in regard to Mississippi because the brokerage account because I changed the address, said now I've got to re-register with a local broker here. Uh, it's a fairly well-known brokerage company, but they have rules. And so that's why I asked about Mississippi law. And does Mississippi law allow those funds to be paid on death? And I, uh, irrespective of where um, uh, the, the, the 90-day creditor rule is, I assume that is in Mississippi. There's a notice period. You have to put a some kind of notice in the newspaper and this person died, and so my right. question is a Mississippi question. Right. Well, you know, uh, payable death accounts do exist in Mississippi, and um, you know, I think again, though, a lot of it depends on the the accounts vary from bank to bank too. So there's the law, and then there's how they're administered by the bank. So I, I would talk to the banks about how how they administer those and what happens uh, when your mother passes, and you know how how soon you'll have access to that because. You know, as soon as I start saying, well, here's what here's what the statute says, uh, I've known I've dealt with situations when I when I was in practice where a bank would say, well, that's not how we do it. And, you know, so really you're kind of constrained to their rules as well. Uh, a perfect example, I have to tell you, this was like the most absurd story that that happened to me personally when I was handling an estate was I was uh, first told that um, for federal law, I had, I had a, uh, people had an accounts as A or B or C three different names and a and b were dead so c wanted to go ahead and uh, cash this account in and 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 i was told that it was uh, because it was a federal bond that a, a, or meant and now or doesn't mean and I, I could you know but i could not argue with this person enough so finally they said no you got to show me the death certificates of these these of a and b so i went and got the death certificates of a and b uh and then uh, i was told by this person who uh worked for the federal government, uh, those death certificates have expired. Well, death certificates don't expire. So sometimes, you know, there, there's the law and then there's the, the uh, individual in- entity you're dealing with. And that's why I would, I would talk to the bank. Uh, you know, they're certainly um, allowed to have payable on death accounts. Uh, how they administer them is really somewhat up to them. All right, Rick, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. We'll stay on the phones. We're going next to Nelson, who's in Pontotoc. Good morning to you, Nelson. What do you have for us today? Uh, yes, Hello. Uh, I just wanted to say that I'm usually in Memphis about once a week, and I usually buy two lottery tickets, um, usually around $10. So I, you know, spend about that amount. And 
Um, it's not, I never go to the casinos, but I do, you know, occasionally buy lottery, lottery tickets about once a week. So I'm in support of that. Um, but also, I have another uh, case. I had uh, two uh, 18-year-olds who stole my car about two and a half years ago. They went to jail for about a year, and now they're out. When when do they have to make restitution? I know uh, the court, um, you know, ruling said that they had to make restitution, and they owe me about close to $2,000. Um, you know, how does that work? Well, I think... It- I think one thing that, again, not not knowing the, the, all the specifics of the case, I, w- I would talk to an attorney to try to get enforcement of that that judgment. Uh, it should be a fairly simple thing, uh, or the, you know, if they're working, you know, you may be able to, to get a, a, a garnishment against their wages or, or something like that to uh-huh. try to get get paid back. But again, the sooner you 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 take action to, to enforce the judgment, once you have the judgment, uh, the better off you'll be because the clock does start to tick. Now, because they oh. were now with against a. Uh, Against a minor, you know, there are special rules that we a lot of times will wait to enforce uh, rules. Well, a time they were frames. eighteen. They were they were eighteen when they stole my car. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you. Again, I you know one of the things we can't do on the show is give specific advice for specific um, cases. Right. And uh, who, who is it? I need to contact. Really, I, I would look for a lawyer who handles um, uh, judgment enforcement or. Uh, someone who uh, enforces uh, payments or collection, who can help you with that? Um, you know, I, I think uh, you should be able to find someone who can do that fairly, fairly inexpensively. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Thank you. All right, Nelson. Thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue the conversation. We'll delve in a little deeper into the Mississippi State Lottery and why we don't have one. We'll also talk about the removal of Confederate monuments and that controversy, and we'll get into President Trump's travel ban as well. If you're listening this morning, we'd love to hear from you. This is kind of an open topic today. Do you think Mississippi could benefit from a lottery? Are you for or against the removal of Confederate monuments in different states, including Mississippi? Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING, 877 7464 is the number or email legal terms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent here today with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're going to be talking about some current events in the legal sphere. We're going to get into just a moment the Confederate Monuments controversy that uh, is happening pretty much all over the world now. Why they are being removed in certain states and is it legal to do so? We'll also talk about the latest with President Trump's travel ban ban and the judiciary's role in reviewing executive orders. And we'll get into a lottery in Mississippi. Why don't 
we have one. We'd love to hear from you. This is somewhat of an open topic day, so if you have any legal questions, I'm going to put the pressure on uh, Professor Gershon to try to answer them. But just a reminder, we can't give personal legal uh, information on your personal cases. We can just tell you what your rights are and give you advice according to the law. But we'd love to hear from you today. Do you think Mississippi could benefit from a lottery? Are you for or against the removal of Confederate monuments in our state? Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open. The number is 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. So, Professor Gershon, let's talk a little bit about uh, the lottery in Mississippi. Uh, we are just one of very few states that actually, you know, don't have one across the United States. And I've read that it has to has something to do with, um, you know, casinos feeling that 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 would be competitive and, and take money away from them. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the lottery in Mississippi and, and, and the legal front on the legal front? What have you heard about why we don't have one? Well, sure. There, there are a lot of reasons. Um, I, I think, you know, some of them are uh, traditional, more religious reasons about you know, gambling in general. Uh, and uh, but, you know, I, th- I think, you know, that it's something the state has to study. And the commi- right now there is a committee that is studying the idea of having a lottery. They do raise money. There's no question about it. I know that uh, I was born in Georgia and I, I've had um, members of my family benefit from uh, you know the education uh, provided uh, in, in part by the money from the Georgia Lottery. I lived in Florida; they had a lottery there that w- went to education. Uh, a lot of it, um, and so you know that's it's something that um, I think the state should consider as a revenue source. Certainly, uh, you know there are pros and cons. A lot of people who uh, spend money in the lottery really can't afford to do it, uh, and it's a lot like the casinos. You know, people who who go and spend a lot of money in the casinos hoping to get get rich quick. Uh, are people who really uh, would better be using their money elsewhere, and you know, and same with the lottery. So there are some downsides to that. There are you know gambling addictions that people have, and and we need to really seriously con- consider those. But when you think about the fact that the surrounding states all have uh, some sort of lottery, you know, people can easily cross state lines and, and play the lottery. So you know, we're not uh, we're not necessarily preventing them from doing so. We're just making the money. The money's going elsewhere. Yeah, and I was reading that some of the border states like Louisiana and some particular gas stations are uh, very excited that Mississippi is anti-lottery because they are benefiting from it greatly, you know, getting folks from Mississippi going to buy Powerball tickets. So it is beneficial to someone, even if it's not beneficial to us. Exactly. You know, it really is. The truth is, uh, you know, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but it's a tax. It mm. really is. I mean, it, you know, it's it, people don't look at it that way, but... Your chances of winning are relatively small. You're paying money that goes essentially, you know, a good portion of it to the government. But for some reason, people are not opposed to paying taxes that way because there's a chance that they uh, could win something on the other side. That's why I've always said, you know, the, the federal government is missing a bet because they should have a federal tax lottery that, you know, that you, they pick randomly a tax return uh, and give, you know, $10 million to somebody <laughs> who pays their taxes in the United States. Uh, but with the provision that you, they get to audit your taxes for the last three years, and if there's anything wrong, you lose that lottery. Oh. And all of a sudden, you know, there would be a lot better compliance, I think, with, uh, with, with tax filing. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, we're, as human beings, we, we are just built to say, well, if there's, if there's a chance I can win something, I don't mind paying that money, but if I'm just paying it for roads or education, I'm against it. Yeah. I've never bought a lottery ticket. Uh, 
I don't know. It just I just seem it seems to me my, my luck would not afford me the opportunity to win to win the lottery. And, and it probably would get a little addictive, you know, especially if you get numbers that are pretty close and you think, oh, well, next time I might get it. So I don't want to do that. Uh, let's see. We, we have a couple calls to get to and we have a couple lines open if you want to join the conversation. This is our open topic legal day. We're talking about some current legal uh, news and we'd love to hear from you. State your case. Do you think Mississippi should or should not have a lottery? Do you think we could benefit from one or do you have some religious reservations where that's concerned? Um, are you for or against the removal of Confederate monuments in various states, including Mississippi? Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments or any other legal news you'd like to discuss. 877-672-7464 is the number or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. All right, we're going to Raymond in New Orleans. Uh, wants to talk a little bit about some legal terminology. Good morning to you, Raymond. Good morning. Um, I was listening earlier. First, first of all, I'd like to say uh, MPB is a, is a great service to the people of Mississippi, and, and I, I'm really, really glad that y'all are on the air. Thank you so uh, much. I, I hope your funding continues. Um, anyway, uh, earlier I heard um, someone give uh, some advice to someone on the line, and they used the term squared away. Squared away is a colloquialism. I believe it's a Navy term from a long time ago having to do with square knots and all the ends being tied down. It's not a legal term, and I believe it's being used incorrectly because um, in my own personal experience, having gone through a divorce, your uh, debt to an unsecured loan, um, you can, you can, you can uh, have seven years, that seven-year period. Generally, uh, if it's not more than $10,000, uh, it's likely you won't be sued, but it begins from the time your last payment was made, not from being squared away, whatever that means. Uh, and this is, this is something I've been to court on and everything else. So it's from the time you last made a payment, seven years, not from getting squared away, whatever that means, um, certainly not having paid it off. So uh, I would caution uh, for using colloquialism in place of, you know, legal clarity. Um, the, the other thing is getting to the Confederate monuments, if I can. Yeah, go ahead. Um, having just gone through this in New Orleans, um, it's, a, it's a topic of, of, that generates a lot of heat and a lot of light. But um, uh, in, in the case of New Orleans, I think it was being used for political capital. Uh, our, our mayor there is a a little man in search of the balcony right now, um, and uh, he, he found it with this particular topic. Um, there are African-American people in New Orleans that have been walking underneath the statue of Robert E. Lee for their entire life. And so there was a certain amount of celebration when that came down. Um, uh, certainly Jefferson Davis is uh, another controversial figure. Uh, that was removed. But this was, it was done in such a haphazard way, in such a politically motivated way, as to, as to be almost like a, a circus and to create a circus for political means. Now, there's a statue in the world that never should have been taken down, and that's um, Pierre Gustave Touton Beauregard, who essentially saved New Orleans by rebuilding the railroads with Confederate uh, officers uh, after the Civil War. And, and now, Beauregard has a house in the French Quarter. It's the Beauregard House to give tours and everything else. Are you going to tear that house down? Uh, where, is it, where does it cease? That's what I want to know. And one other thing, and this has direct uh, pertinence to Mississippi, in Yazoo City, Mississippi, in the square, there's a memorial to Confederate women. And if this 
is touched in any way, I will personally come out and chain myself to that. Because that is essentially a historic uh, structure, if you would, okay, that speaks directly to the ethos of the South. And it, it has such a historical significance that to remove it would be a crime, really. I, I can see how people could get really upset about some of these things. Um, you look at both sides of the coin, but you have to pay history to do. And that's, they all have to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, Raymond, uh, good comments. Uh, all right, first of all, uh, Professor Gerson, you want to address the squared away thing. Right, Raymond. I, first of all, I think you probably heard that on in Money Talks this morning because uh, I heard that as I was driving in, and that was a term used on that show. That was really giving financial advice, and I still agree with the financial advice they gave because the young woman who called um, – uh, to to ask about her prospective uh, future husband, uh, basically what they were saying was he needs to take care of you know dealing with his credit before they get married. I agree with that. They use the term squared away to say, hey, you know, you you got to he needs to pay those things off before they're going to disappear. And I think in some ways, um, certainly that that is a the better approach. But there, you're right. There are times when that can that debt can uh, be discharged discharged, and a lot of times. Uh, what companies will do is they'll write off a debt, and that's really up to the company. Frankly, it's you know typically they'll write it off as uncollectible because it's not worth their time, and then once something is written off, that'll disappear. Uh, so you know, yeah, you know, I think it's hard on these shows. We have an hour. We got to give you know, we got to give advice, and uh, and and uh, you know, and the, things are much more complicated. So you know, the, the simple advice we have to give on 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 these shows, uh, you know, should not be taken as as the last word. I hope people don't, but. I want, to, I want to defend my friends at, at, in Money Talks because it's a good program. Uh, the other part, um, you know, the, I, I think there, you can argue both ways on, the, on these uh, monuments. Uh, uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to recognize that people, uh, African-Americans who walked under the, the statue of Robert E. Lee, there, there's, a, there's a, you know, those, those statutes were erected with, with a purpose uh, beyond commemorating the Civil War. And I, I think there's a lot of purpose uh, involved in that was retaining the idea of white supremacy. And, and that's, that's problematic. Uh, today, I, I, I'm going to take a point of personal privilege here. Today is the 47th uh, anniversary of my bar mitzvah. And one of the words I learned when I was studying for bar mitzvah was the word pesel, which means idol, uh, graven image. And, you know, um, I, I worry sometimes that we do, in fact, elevate these graven images over over people and mm-hmm. and i think we need to think about that uh you know those of us who uh grew up in a biblical tradition uh or an abrahamic tradition so that would include our muslim brethren uh and sisters uh would would you know have have a prohibition against graven images and and you know sometimes i do think these these iconic images become more than they really are mm-hmm. and we worship them so you know, I, I think we need to think about the, the the real effect on people that, you know, going past some of these symbols has every day on their lives. You know, a statement to a young uh, African-American child then, yeah, you know, you're still not important because this symbol looms over you. We at least need to have that conversation. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about it after the break. And uh, this is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined by Professor Richard Gershon. We'd love to hear from you this morning. Is there any legal news that you would like to discuss? This is an open topic show today. Uh, Do you think Mississippi could benefit from a lottery? State your case. Are you for or against the removal of Confederate monuments in various states, including Mississippi? 877-MPB-RING is the number. We do have some lines open. The number is 877-672-7464 or 
or email legal terms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're talking about some current events in the legal sphere. Uh, Before the break, Professor Gershon, we were talking about these Confederate monuments that are being moved. Uh, There's recently been a push in Arizona uh, to get some removed. Now, let me ask, does it matter if these monuments are on public land or private land? And also, who has to give permission for them to come down, mayors or what? Great question, Sharia. That's the crux of the question. Yeah, you know, if I build a monument on my my land, I mean, there may be zoning rules to keep me from doing that, or my neighborhood uh, association agreement. So, those, you know, that can be complicated. But, you know, let's assume, assume I have permission to build, you know, something on my land, and I build it. Then nobody should be able to remove that, um, and I have right to express it. Uh, but when it's on public property, that you know, that's different. And I think you know, in New Orleans, those were in fact in, in, on public land. If they were on uh, private land, then you know, then there would have to be some kind of legal action to to force their removal. But in, on, when they're on public land, then it really is up to the government for the health, safety, welfare, general welfare of the of the public can can make decisions uh, along those lines, and that uh, is really what what the mayor of New Orleans uh, felt he was doing. If you listen to his speech about the removal. Of, of those uh, those monuments, it's it's compelling. Mm-hmm. It's hard to argue with, in my opinion. Um, I think it's it's one of the best arguments by a public official for you know for something as controversial as this that I've heard. Uh, and so, if you you may be for or against, but if you, if you haven't heard that speech, it's well worth hearing. Yeah. So the the city government trumps the the state government in these cases. So if the monument is in the city of Jackson, the mayor of Jackson could say, yes, let's take it down. And could uh, Governor Phil Bryan overrule? Well, that's a, that's also a great question. And, I, you know, it, it's not always clear the city government uh, does have that authority. A lot of that depends. Uh, so, you know, some states uh, have uh, cities have home rule uh, and they do have a lot more authority. Other states, the state has the authority and it can give the authority to the city, and so that really depends. And some, you know, sometimes that that authority is given to some cities and not others. So that really, a lot of it depends on the city charter. A lot of it depends on uh, what the state has allowed the city to do, whether there is home rule. So it's gonna it's gonna vary from state to state. Uh, in Mississippi, really, you know, the state legislature would have a, a, a good amount of authority over over those actions. But you know, if it's if if it's something that um, uh, you know, occurs, for example, uh, at the University of Mississippi, uh, you know, our chancellor has uh, brought authority to work with our community to make decisions about plaques and, and namings of buildings and things like that here. So it's it's a complicated issue. It really depends on, on, uh, on you know, the, the, the circumstance, the place. It's a conversation we ought to be having. I'm actually glad we're having it um, because, uh, you know, we, we need to think about what these symbols mean. You know, the name... For example, Vardaman on on uh, one of our our buildings here is is you know Vardaman was was an avowed white uh, supremacist uh, you know had very disparaging things to say about 
African Americans, uh, and uh, and you know was called the Great White Father. I mean, that's historically that needs to be known. A lot of people walk past that building and don't know who Vardaman was. Hmm. All right, uh, we have lots of people who want to join the conversation and talk about the Confederate statues. But first, James and Jackson uh, has a question about divorce legalities. Good morning to you, James. Yes, good morning. Uh, my name is James. I call from Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, my question is, I went through a divorce a couple of years ago, and the judge granted me everything, including the house and, and all that, and I had to pay my wife out the car and everything. But what the question is, uh, every time something come up with the loan company that she had a home with, uh, her name is attached to it, and that they told me I'd probably have to refinance. And I'm trying to find out, is there any legal way without having to go back through financing that I could get her name off of that stuff and just go on from there because she agreed to the house the judge agrees with our divorce decree and I just want to know that and I just I'm going to get off the phone and see if y'all could discuss that that's a little bit for me please sir. okay thank you for that question James we appreciate it any thoughts Professor Gershon well thank you James yeah I'm sorry you went through the divorce and uh, you know but the process of transferring property is, is often more complicated than maybe it should be. Uh, you've got the judgment. You've got an order that you're going to get the property, uh, but there are some steps that need to need to take place to make sure that happens. Uh, right now, you know, uh, again, I can't give specific advice about your case, but you know, it wants it the, the property doesn't just automatically transfer to you. There has to be a change of title, and when you've got property like land that is evidenced by title, you know, there's a deed. You want to make sure that the deed is. Uh, is uh, reissued uh, in your name. The other thing that has to happen, too, is that, you know, unfortunately, the mortgage company loans money to a person. So let's say they loan money to me, and I, I want to transfer the property to somebody else. I want to sell the property to somebody else. And the loan company is going to say, okay, well, then you're the person we loaned the money to, Richard. You need to pay us back. Um, and so I'm going to have to figure out a way to uh, – take the proceeds of the sale and, and, and pay them back is usually the case. Well, when the property's tra- just transferred like this, if the, if the money, if the loan was in one person's name and now you're transferring to another person, the, the bank is going to say, hey, we want to make sure our, our loan is secured and we're going to make sure we want to make sure this person, this new title holder is, is good for this loan. And therefore, really, what we're going to do then is just make a new loan. So that, unfortunately, is, is just part of the process. I, I um, it's something I, I would hope that divorce lawyers would talk to their clients about as they go through the process about what it's going to take. There's not, you know, there's steps that have to take place. And, and unfortunately, you still, sounds like to me, you still have some steps you need to, to go through. And I would talk to your, your lawyer who handled your divorce to, to help you with that. All right, James, hopefully that was helpful to you. All right, we're going to get back into the conversation about these Confederate statues. J.D. is in Jackson. Good morning to you, J.D. Good morning. Good morning. Great show. Um, I'm enjoying it very much, especially about the, about the legal times. Uh, I was just calling about the statues. I, I worked in, um, in a particular job and traveled all over the state going to county seats, and we'll be shocked at some of these county seats. There are statues in Mississippi to daughters of the Confederacy all over, particularly in the one in the city. That's my hometown. And, uh, you know, this is tough. I have, no, I have a problem with the statues because when I grew up as a child, I'm a male now in my 60s. Uh, we couldn't play around those statues as a black, as an as a African-American. Stay away from that. Don't, don't play there. And, you know, um, history is history. But uh, I have a lot of concern in regarding to why these statues were built and the reasoning behind them. I know why. 
but I wouldn't be opposed. Okay, let the statues stay, but let me, um, just like these statues were built, let me put in my reasoning why I want to put another uh, 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 documentation or something there, a plaque or something to say this is why this statue was built historically. And, uh, you know, people might be opposed to that. But uh, anyway, great show. Uh, the one in Yazoo City, if the guy, uh, if they move it, we have no problem. I'd be, a, be sorry if he'll be attached to it. But, hey, that's, that's, things change. Nothing remains the same. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Have a good day. Okay. J.D., thank you so much. Uh, Professor Gershon, why do you think now there's opposition to these statues that have been up for so long? Why, why do you think the uh, opposition is being raised now? That's a great question, Sharita. I think I think the political environment is is uh, part of it. Uh, you know, the the Trump presidency has given rise to you know some a, a larger voice from uh, those who are white supremacist. I think that has people a little bit concerned. Uh, but historically, probably these are conversations that should have been happening for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my family and I actually. We're lucky enough to go see Hamilton uh, in Chicago this weekend. And part of part of what, you know, what impressed me so much about Hamilton is you realize that these uh, these founding fathers and and matriarchs as well of this country that we revere so much had flaws. Every one of them, you know, uh, some of them owned slaves. They had they they had adulterous relationships. And, you know, we've raised them to this iconic level. I think it's important to understand who they were because we're we're people, too. We're just people, too. And when you start putting up these symbols uh, that become more than just, you know, all of a sudden now this is something that is untouchable because it's, a, you know, a statue. Uh, that is something that um, really doesn't give give any thought to the, the history behind that statue. And I, I mean, the caller said, you know, then put up put up a plaque to explain why it's there. Put, you know, if, you, if you're going to show history or say that these are historical and shouldn't be touched, then put them in the proper context and, and let people understand that there, you know, that there's more to this story than just this was, you know, the great savior of the city of New Orleans, but this person also was a person and had baggage. And again, like I said, you know, I mean, Hamilton wasn't perfect, Jefferson wasn't perfect, Washington wasn't perfect. Let's know them for who they were. Yeah. All right. More calls to get to. We go next to Frank and Jackson. Good morning to you, Frank. What do you have for us? Yes, I uh, support the removal of the statues. And yesterday was a prime example uh, that we have poor leadership here in the state of Mississippi in, re- in reference to the representative from Montgomery County, Carl Oliver, when the state legislature did not take the effort to move forward to show that this is a moment that we could transition forward. Now, Samir, I want the people to think about those statues. Now, this may sound tongue-in-cheek. It may sound horrible for someone. But uh, taking an individual, if I would beat that individual to a pulp in front of his family, do you think that gentleman wants to have a statue erected, erected of me and they walk out each day and see me standing there? Think about that in terms of what that does to African-Americans who have been subjected to that type of environment over the years. Those are my comments. Okay, thank you, uh, Frank. And uh, Professor Gershon, he mentioned uh, Representative Carl Oliver, who 
man really, really stirred up the pot uh, with a Facebook post. And uh, I'll just read it for those who are unfamiliar with, with what he said. The destruction of these monuments erected in the loving memory of our family and fellow Southern Americans is both heinous and horrific. If the, and I use this term extremely loosely, leadership of Louisiana wishes to, in a Nazi-ish fashion, burn books or destroy historical monuments of our history, they should be lynched. Let it known, I will do all in my power to prevent this from happening in our state. So that was the uh, statement by Representative Oliver. And uh, it, you know, it, it caused a huge backlash. And, uh, you know, I, I think he was removed from like a leadership position. But, uh, yeah, that was a person that uh, our, our last caller, Frank, was talking about. Right. And I think, you know, what, <laughs> again, what the, uh, Mr. Representative Oliver misses the point on so many levels. But the fact is... The African-Americans who were lynched, the African-Americans who were beaten, were beloved members of families and were Southerners as well. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the, this, these statutes glorify only a small portion of the people who, uh, who lived in the South at that time. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we have several calls to get to. We'll continue the conversation. Uh, we have Glenn, Robin, Linda, and Levine on the line. We'll get to you guys immediately after this break. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we've been talking about some current events in the legal sphere. We've talked a little bit about Mississippi and the state lottery and also Confederate monuments uh, across different states in the United States and why they are being removed and getting your thoughts on that. Uh, now, uh, Professor Gershon, I did tease that we were going to talk about President Trump's travel ban. So can we uh, squeeze that in there before we get to these other calls you wanted to mention, particularly the judiciary's role in reviewing executive orders? Right, Sharia. This has been, uh, it's been, again, complicated because there have been several uh, lower courts and appellate courts who have uh, uh, said that the ban is not constitutional. Uh, and the president wants to go straight to the Supreme Court with this. Now, the Supreme Court would have to uh, have four um, votes to rehear this immediately. Part of the problem is, though, with this judicial review is the travel ban itself it, it, it expires. Parts of it expire in June. So it may ultimately, if it does get to the Supreme Court, not even be a timely uh, discussion. And um, and it's interesting that the the lawyers for the in, in favor of this uh, executive order have said it's not a travel ban. It's not a travel ban. It's not a, a ban based on religious beliefs. And yet um, the president himself is tweeting, we need to have this travel ban. So he's calling it a travel ban, despite the fact <laughs> his lawyers are saying, well, that's not what it is. Yeah. So um, I think, though, because it's considered emergent and, and an emergency travel ban, the longer it goes, the longer they don't press this to go to the Supreme Court. It's been, been months now since the first decision, the less emergent it looks. OK. All right. Um, we go next to Glenn and Biloxi, who wants to talk about the Confederate statues. Good morning, Glenn. Hey, how you doing, Sharita? Doing great. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Yes, I'd like to make a comment on the uh, removal of the Confederate monuments uh, in, in not only just our state, in the country. Uh, one of the things I have an issue with is 
nobody's really stating what the goal by removing these statues is. What, what is their goal to achieve? Now, we'll use our state primarily here. Without a doubt, those monuments affect some of our Mississippians very negatively. And that, that's without question. And at the same token, those monuments are very sympathetic to other members of Mississippi. What I am worried about is the group in the middle here. By forcing an issue, when you're talking about removal, you're forcing that group in the middle to choose a side. And sometimes that side is not necessarily the one we want. Now, what I would suggest as an alternative, and I haven't heard anybody even start bringing this up, you don't erase history by removing that monument. Why, why couldn't somebody start the process up or even consider, let's surround those statues with monuments depicting the other side of the story, mm-hmm. reflecting other leaders of that era that certainly are more favorable. You're not erasing history that way because we don't want to, you're not going to do that by removal of the statue, but you're certainly going to start telling the other side of the story, which would help some of the, the people that are t- taking the removal or the statues as being such a negative connotation and giving them something more positive to reflect on in those same spots. That's a good thought, Glenn, when our uh, other caller was talking about having a plaque that tells the truth about a particular monument being up. That thought crossed my mind. And also, I was listening to a sermon just this morning. He's talking about goals and being specific about what your goals are when you're doing something. So, President, I mean, not President Gershon, (laughs) (laughs) Professor Gershon, I definitely think you have the capability to be the president, but that's another conversation. When Glenn talks about goals, do you think the goal is racial sensitivity, racial reconciliation, uh, have any goals that even been established? That's what I'm saying. I think in, in, in removing them, you're not, you're not changing how those people feel. Right. The people that are affected negatively by those monuments, you're not changing how they feel just by removing them. You're yeah. taking away visual representation that's constantly reminding them. Yeah. Professor Gershon, what do you think? I think there are a lot of different ways to approach it. I think that's one. Is to, you know, again, contextualize them to recognize the, the full history and not just this glorified one part of it. And I think that's the objection to the statues as they are now, is they glorify an aspect that, uh, you know, has been elevated to a grandeur it never previously knew. You know, that, that's the problem. Um, and so, you know, to put the full story out there, I'm all for, you know, full history, full information, full evidence. That's, you know, how lawyers operate. So... You know, this is only a small segment of, of evidence that was put there for a reason, and that reason was, uh, you know, we, we're still we're still in charge, and I think we need we need to have a different conversation. Yeah, thank you for that call, Glenn. We appreciate it. We will stay on the phones. We're going next to Robin in Choctaw. Good morning to you, Robin. Good morning. Um, my question was, or not a question, I was just going to say, that they're going to remove offensive monuments. Uh, what about George Washington? He was a uh, slaveholder, and so was Ulysses S. Grant. And for intelligence for the state of Mississippi, maybe they should look at legalizing marijuana instead of doing a lottery so people could become employed. And also with billions of dollars for the state in income. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for the, those comments, Robin. Uh, okay, so the first one he said was uh, about George Washington. Your thoughts on that, Professor Gershon? Well, again, I think we just need to study history. And I, like, as I said, the play Hamilton really does, you know, a, a show a lot of different aspects of, of of our, you know, the people who founded this country. They were not perfect. They were people, uh, you know, and that's that's how our government was formed, by people who weren't perfect. To, to, to really recognize the full history of each of these people is important. I, I think that's just education. Um, and maybe then to to 
you know, have the statues of, of Washington, but to recognize that he was a slaveholder, recognize that, uh, you know, he had flaws, but also recognize his strengths as well. Um, I think we can do that. Um, we just haven't completed that process yet. Well, and they, uh, I think uh, Harriet Tubman is supposed to be uh, the face of the $20 bill, if I'm not mistaken. So that is some kind of effort <laughs> to make things even. Uh, let's see. Next call is Linda in Port Gibson. Good morning to you, Linda. What do you have for us? Good morning. I just have something brief to say. Uh, removing those statues will not remove the hate and the people who embrace the state, who want them to be there. If you take those statues away, uh, that's not going to remove the hate that still resides in uh, those people who, you know, want the statue to be there. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Linda. Thank you so much for your call. Um, you know, so, yeah, Professor Gershon, it, it has to go beyond the removal, having a goal in mind, uh, having a conversation. I think we've gotten some very good suggestions today. And we have about a minute left if you just had some closing thoughts or anything in particular you wanted to close on, Professor Gershon. Well, just a, a quick one. This is not Confederate statutes. This is actually the, uh, the caller about, uh, about marijuana. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the topics we might have talked about today was opi- the opioid uh, lawsuit. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think... But the truth is that uh, marijuana might be a better alternative to some of the opioids that have been overprescribed as well and probably would raise revenue for the state. But that's a topic for another day. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's one more thing I wanted to mention. Oh, uh, uh, Trump and Comey. Uh, I think uh, President Trump has decided not to use his executive privilege and block uh, Comey's testimony. So what is the update on that? Uh, when is Comey supposed to testify and what could it all mean? Well, it'd be interesting. I, you know, it, I, I think um, it could, it, we just don't know what, what the contact with Russia was all about or what, you know, what the conversations with the president were about. Uh, executive privilege does protect the president from having confidential information and conversations with advisors uh, leaked out. Uh, but once, you know, you start tweeting some of this stuff yourself, you kind of give up that privilege. So I think they're, they're really, the privilege has probably disappeared anyway at this point. And it'll be interesting to see what uh, former Director Comey has to say. Yeah. Well, Professor Gershon, thank you so much for an engaging conversation today. And thank you to our callers. If you did not get to call today, you can always send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org and communicate with us that way. Also, we have a podcast. If you have a podcast app, you can subscribe to the In Legal Terms podcast. You can also access us on mpbonline.org slash terms to hear past shows. Java Chapman was our board operator and our very cool intern. Was it, what's his name? Patrick? Patrick was our call screener. Thank you, Patrick. Stay tuned. Dr. Butcher is up next for Relative